Welcome to the Ramble Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Primus, father, entrepreneur, filmmaker, athlete, hopeful writer, and dedicated wanderer. I'm curious to learn more about how people live their lives, their struggles, and passions, and pains. So every week, with athletes, entrepreneurs, healers, adventurers, and beyond, I'm going to have unbound and uncensored long-form conversations about people, places, pursuits, and performance. Enjoy. Hello, 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 beautiful, curious people. Man, oh man, do I have very, very cool, interesting, potentially mind-blowing guest with me today. Her name is Jasmine Rose, and Jasmine is a womb priestess, holistic pelvic care practitioner, a somatic ceremonialist. She guides women through lost rites of passage in order to restore and reclaim the ancient wisdom within their wombs. Her work is a blend of science and spirit with the intention to reinstate female body literacy and open the possibilities of not only healing, but thriving in the womb, cycles, fertility, and beyond. Welcome to the Ramble. <laughs> How are you? Yeah, feeling so good. Feeling so excited for this conversation. So excited to, yeah, just open up the possibilities of maybe widening the perspective of some mm. of these topics with you. That was the, the spirit of this because the backstory is, my wife loves you so dearly. And I, I think you two have known each other for five years. Yeah. About five five. Years? Okay. About five years. And I obviously find my way into the picture somehow. We have, we've hung out a few times. And, and so I have two points of entry. One is I know your work through her. And I know the importance of your work through her own journey. And so why I was so keen to have you on the podcast was because I wanted to attempt as best as I could and we could together find a way to introduce what it is that you do, both to women who are not familiar with the type of work that you do and also their partners who, whether they are or are not familiar, how they can understand this in the relationship support facilitate and and just be in the know of what's happening for their partner. Mm. And so I, I guess my role in that journey with Jana would be the role that uh, you know I'm speaking to. So maybe the simplest place to start is a an overview of what it is that you do. Mm-hmm. Mm. I love this question and this curiosity so much because I get asked this a lot Mm -hmm. and for a little bit of context, I just moved to a new town. And so I'm, I'm familiarizing myself with how to actually create clarity around what I do. I'm introducing myself to a lot of new people. And so this is something that I've been really curious about myself. What do I do? What is my work? What, how do I, you know, take so much mystery, so much mysticism, so much unknown, so much curiosity, and actually bring it into a really palatable way of understanding. And this is really the heart of my work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we really look at the womb, and I want to be really clear when I'm speaking to the womb, you know, let's just bring so much clarity into what we're talking about here, because regardless of who you are, if you hold the anatomical organs, meaning if you've had a hysterectomy, if you've had ovaries removed, if you've gone through various surgeries or different walks of life where you no longer hold the biology, we always have the capacity to connect to the womb. And so when I say womb, I'm really taking all of the anatomical functions of the female pelvis, the female anatomy, but also widening it into this space that a woman can land in to find her creativity, to find her intuition, her power, to really find herself. And why this is so important to me in particular, I started this journey, you know, on my own pilgrimage, as most of us do, but also being a traditional birth keeper for the last seven years. And so in that process of both familiarizing myself with what birth really is, what birth really could be, how much we had created these systems of oppression that really did not allow the full spectrum of the most human experience that we can embark on in our lives, in my humble opinion, how we'd really taken away so much of the magic, the power, the possibility in something like birth. And That was a big aha moment for me, you know, watching birth after birth after birth and having these conversations with women and much like you said, with their partners and being able to provide a framework that allowed literacy of the female anatomy, of the female body and the possibilities beyond our biology. And so 
accessing that framework in the viewpoint of birth, I started to realize, well, why are we only having these conversations when we're heading into conception or into this monumentous event that is birth? Why are we only having these conversations in this really small framework and really almost rushing them to try to prepare within this time frame of, okay, now you're pregnant and we're going to give you all of the capacity to understand this literacy, this wisdom, and then off you go. Is there not an opportunity for us to not only praise and pay attention to the womb when it is gestating life, when it is growing, when it is expanding, but is there a possibility for us to bring that type of care, that type of attunement, that type of conversation throughout a woman's life? And to no longer orient only to the wound, to the disease, to the problem that we're wanting to fix, but begin to cross this threshold from healing to thriving. And so all of that to say is, you know, my work is really in an effort to combine both science and spirit, meaning understanding the literacy, the biology, the anatomical functions of the womb when it's in its most thriving state to provide a framework to give people the power back to accessing that that thriving because so many of us are outsourcing our power because we don't have the knowledge mm -hmm. we don't understand our bodies and then to also bring this potentiality of what if it's not only the flesh and the blood what if it's not only the organs and the cycles that we go through what if connecting to this space actually gave a woman and everyone that she orients to the potentiality to actually feel safe and powerful and wild and rooted in her body as the gift? And so my work in its essence is accumulation of somatics, of teaching, facilitating, and a lot of mystery to really bring that homecoming into the body of women. You say that so beautifully. Uh, and Jana warned me of that. She said, uh, <laughs> she said, Jasmine is the most beautiful speaker she's ever met. And I, you know, the last time we met, we were cooking elk and maple syrup. So, you know, we didn't have a chance to necessarily speak like this, but the, just, just in terms of a few points of definition, when you say birth keeper, you mean, uh, as a professional term that maybe others would other understand as a doula. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Which is, yeah. and I have, I have, I know this may seem crazy, but I've come across many people when I say doula that they don't know what that actually is. Yeah. And so maybe we could provide just a little definition on, on that as well as you mentioned somatic. Uh, and so just, so just as we use these words throughout, mm. people are there with us. I love this because this is really the balance of the conversation. If you haven't been able to tell, um, you know, we're a really short time into this podcast already, but I'm pretty in my feminine. I tend to be <laughs> incredibly poetic. I'm also really passionate, but this provides such a beautiful masculine clarity and clarity is incredibly important when we're talking about these really mysterious concepts, perhaps feeling really nuanced to our listeners. And so, yes, so traditional birth keeper, doula, there's lots of different terminology and let's just use doula for a frame of reference. And, you know, what I always like to say is a doula is often what people imagine a midwife is. We've become incredibly medical in midwifery practices, depending on where you live. I'll speak to the context of Canada. And so doulas really provide what that old traditional midwifery feeling sensation might've felt like in that birthing process, meaning that, no, I'm not a medical practitioner. I can't diagnose. I don't do things like cervical examinations. I don't do anything that actually creates any adaptation in the anatomy of birth. I'm there as a space holder. I'm there to facilitate conversations, to digest information, make things more palatable, and to essentially keep the space of birth feeling incredibly cohesive so that as a birthing person is going through, again, one of the most transformative experience of their lives, they're not having to facilitate anything else other than being in their bodies. Mm -hmm. And so we provide education in the preconception as well as the pregnancy time. We go to care practitioner appointments. We help find your team. Um, we're there to essentially take this big wide lens of birth and say, this is your journey. How do I assist to create 
your journey being yours without any agenda, any influence, anything that's going to disrupt the cohesiveness of you and your family. Which in the allopathic medical system, you know, from personal experience and not a knock on the system, it can very much not feel like your journey. It can very much feel like you have been, it has the birth, the miracle and nat- naturalness of birth is medicalized, is almost turned into a, a disease or a emergency that is like you've cut your leg off and you need to be rushed into the hospital when you're talking about the most ancient natural miracle that we do in life is, mm-hmm. is birth, you know, mm-hmm. is create and then bring into the world through the womb, through the woman. And so, you know, we know, we know that experience firsthand where it's, where you're in that situation where you're being very strongly told what to do because there's, there's a care and an agenda on the other side, and you're not really given the options and you're not really given the autonomy to allow for what might happen otherwise. Yeah. And I love that you use that word autonomy, right? Because that's really what this is. And for those of you that aren't familiar with that, it's, it's really self-governing, right? It's, it's having the ability to make decisions and to say no and to say yes with really out any questioning, mm-hmm. right? Having autonomous choice means, okay, you've made a choice and now there's this mm-hmm. honoring of that choice and when there is an industry, um, and again, this isn't a bash on the industry whatsoever, there's, mm-hmm. there is an industrialized birth model mm-hmm. that has only really been with us for the last hundred years. And we are still very much in the learnings of how technolo- technology and birth interface in a positive way. And in my experience in witnessing many, many, many women give birth, you know, the more that we poke and prod and the more that we come into something that is so sacred and so wise and so um, wild and so ecstatic and has the possibility to be this really big moment, the more that our natural biology doesn't have the capability to keep up with the inherent you know, pace of birth, which isn't really on a linear timeline. And so I loved that you use that word autonomous because that's what really shifts for me what a doula would really facilitate versus perhaps a care practitioner who does have, you know, uh, a medical license perhaps who has a checklist and their due diligence that they need to uphold in order to be within their scope. And so it's just a really different variance of the scope of care that's provided. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, let's, because the thing that you hit on at the very beginning where you said, you looked at this and said, let's not, let's not just look at this from the standpoint of nine months or in and around nine months, which is, you know, the the time in which we are with pregnant with a child and we are sort of scrambling to educate and prepare with this doomsday event. Sometimes that we think of it as Mm -hmm. right. Whereas as saying, how do we look at this holistically in our daily lives from, you know, from maturity onward? And we don't look at any, almost any health in that way in our society today, right? Where we, we look at, we, we look at solving the problem that's in front of us, not the deeper root of why the problem is there in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think recent pandemics can, can, be front and center for that. And so your approach is really, is really wonderful. And maybe because there's a lot of places we can go, but maybe the best place to start is with a women's menstruation cycle, Hmm. which is the, is the, is the one connect is not the only one, but a connection point that is tied to womb birth and all these things that we have in our daily life in our monthly, every month, that becomes in part the cycle of, of our life. So how is that? Is that a good place to start in explaining mm-hmm. how the work that you do connects with, how, how, I'm trying to explain this correctly, how, how somebody can connect with the work that you do as yeah. we're talking about here on the podcast? Yeah. And I love this, you know, and this, even in like the, the not being able to find words in some of these moments, I think that this is an important place for us to have this conversation because so much of how we experience the feminine, the womb, our menstrual cycles, it's, it's in the wordless. 
right? We can be like, well, how do I, how do I even like talk about this? Or how do I even ask about this? And I, you know, it's taken me a really long time. And when I say the word literacy, I mean this in its full embodied state. It's, it's taken me years, if not years now, and I'm living in a body, right? I'm, I'm a woman. I have a female physiology and it's been six to seven years where I actually feel like the literacy journey for me to understand this language actually started to anchor in. I mean, I'm 33 now. And so there's a palpable grief to that. And so the menstrual cycle in its essence, you know, and I love that we're starting here primarily because when we talk about rites of passage, which was one of the the terms that I used in my bio that I speak to a lot. And if you aren't familiar with rites of passage, culturally, they show up very, very differently depending on you know how you orient, who you talk to. But they are essentially these times in which a person, and in this case, a woman, will pass through a monumentous time in her life. And one of those monumentous times is our first menstruation. It is a time where we are quite literally changing physiologically. We're changing in our spirit matter. We're changing in our orientation to how we relate to the earth and to one another. You know, we all know, maybe we don't all know, but I certainly know what I was like as a teenage girl. You know, the words that are thrown around are we're chaotic and and we're bitchy and we've got all of these things going on. And it's like, there's actually a wisdom to this, right? We're going through a catastrophic, mind-blowing change within our bodies that is comparable to what we go through when we're in that preconception time. And so the menstrual cycle actually facilitates this original initiation into being a woman. And you know, it happens in variations of time frames. It happens at different ages. I think that there's also a wisdom to that, right? We have a lot of um, variance in how we bloom, right? If we look to nature, there isn't this like every flower blooms at the same time. We all have a really intrinsic, unique pattern constitution of how we walk through that. And the reason why I mentioned the rites of passage in that is because so many women, mothers, grandmothers, and great-grandmothers haven't had the opportunity to view the menstrual cycle as anything other than inconvenient, Mm -hmm. as a pain point, as the burden, and I'm using quotations for those of you that can't see me, the burden of being a woman. You know, we hear these things as young girls and that imprints into our bodies. We don't have a living template or we haven't for many generations of what it would be like to feel really powerful in that time. And the menstrual cycle is, you know, it can be broken up into four or two parts. So we'll go into a little bit of a literacy. Yeah, please. And we can talk about, you know, we have the the bleed time, which is what most of us will will know, the menstruation. This is when a woman's having her period. You know, there's many different ways that we frame that word in particular. And that is the first day of our cycle. So that is day one from the day that we have the first day of our bleed, we start going on this inner journey of our own female physiology. And so we go through this bleed time, we have menstruation. Um, Your menstruation can last anywhere from two to seven days. There's variations in that as well, because it's the feminine rhythm. So we're not here to, you know, be by the book or have any agenda towards it. Um, very similar to how we want to keep timelines away from birth, we start to learn timelines surrounding a female body in those menstruating times. From that process, we go into a phase called the follicular phase. And so this is a time when our uterine wall is actually starting to rebuild. It's a really quick turnover. And so you have to think how profound that is, that we're actually shedding layers of our uterus. um, We're shedding blood. And in the energetics of that, we're also shedding layers of ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, we have these energetic patterns, these emotions that we might've been hanging onto, and we're actually being given the opportunity to release. Our body is so Somatically, as we were talking about the definitions of somatics, somatics are events that happen in the body. Um, and so somatics really tell us about things like our breath and, and ways that we're holding tension patterns. When we're talking about somatics of the womb, our womb is quite literally saying, hey, we're giving you an opportunity to release, to rest, to recharge, to come into your center. Now, I don't know a lot of women who really feel like that is the the way that they experience their bleed. But this is what I'm wanting to outline outside of the orientation to the wound. This is what it is really offering to us. 
So we go into that follicular phase, things start building back up again. Um, we have a little bit more energy. And this is a time where we're given the opportunity to start to plant dream and creation seeds. If we come into right relationship with our womb, it becomes this cauldron of creation. Similarly to how we can create fetus, we can create children in our womb. We can also use this space to create outside of the gestation of life itself. So we're starting to come into a little bit more energy. And this is kind of where we drop off of our awareness, right? Most people don't pay attention to their cycle outside of this bleed time because it's tucked away. It's invisible. We don't have to think about it anymore. And then we come into ovulation. And this one gets a lot of buzz as well, because this is what we're either trying to work with to promote or to prevent conception. And what most people don't know, because we aren't literate about the fertility continuum of a woman's body, is that we can only get pregnant about four to six days of our cycle. And so if we take that into framework, and this is even great for partners to know, right? This isn't just, you know, we can get pregnant at any moment. That can also be true. Because if a woman isn't tuned into her rhythms, if she doesn't have the literacy to identify when that window is actually present, it would feel like she could get pregnant at any moment. And so I want to be really sensitive to that's not anything that anybody's doing or not doing right. It's again, stepping forward into that self-responsibility of how do I know when I'm ovulating, mm -hmm. right? So things change. Cervical mucus changes. You might notice that a woman's discharge changes color or texture throughout her cycle. That is actually pointing to healthy biology. It's also pointing to a really tangible way for us to understand where we are in our rhythms, to be able to share that with our partners or the people that we are making love to and have a barometer, a very visible, tangible barometer of saying, okay, conception is possible during this window. Mm -hmm. We go from ovulation into the luteal phase. And this one also gets a lot of attention because this is the phase that has the symptomology attached to it of PMS. Uh -huh. So this is when a woman is all sorts of things, right? She can be really wild, really chaotic, mood swings, all of these things. And I really like to orient to the magic of that, that when we are in that luteal time, we are completing the menstrual cycle. And what this means is the womb is preparing to soften and shed again. And so if we think about the energetics of that, the power of that, everything that a woman might've been carrying with her in that cycle is actually starting to fall away, starting to soften. It's being given permission to leave her body so that she can come into this renewal of her feminine energy. And so those emotions, you know, the, the big expressions that can come from that time are usually something that's been wanting to come through throughout the entire cycle. And now the biology, the somatics is giving her permission to do so. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, 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 there's so many things that pop into my mind when you say this, when you explain the cycle and, you know, for one, I think about how, at least in things I've read during orgasm for a man, I imagine for a woman, a woman as well, it's an amazing time to create. It's a, there's an amazing energy. Should you choose to ejaculate or not, you can still tap into that energy to draw in an abundance of what it is that you want. Now, where I'm going with that is we live in a world that is is managed by a Monday to Sunday week, Monday to Friday work week, a nine to five work time. And that is the cycle put on us by our society. You are talking to a totally different cycle. And what it sounds like to me, that a totally different cycle that we should be listening to and tapped into from almost like a, a work, job, productivity, creativity standpoint. And I'm curious if each of these phases of the cycle, the two or the four, mm -hmm. If there is almost like you would tap into a, an individual chakra for a different purpose, which we won't get into too much or, or at all, but specifically with the woman's menstruation cycle, if you, in your teachings and when you're working with your clients, you provide the framework to tapping into those four different cycles as it relates to the, the material world of which they live in every day. Yeah. Bingo. Absolutely. This is the hidden jewel of mm -hmm. the womb when we remove the womb only being valid during pregnancy. 
Mm-hmm. This is the gem that's uncovered and, and what becomes incredibly important for a few different reasons. And, and I love what you said about the chakra and, and how that could be. I have four specific archetypes. Mm-hmm. And so I do archetypical work. Each cycle phase has its own archetype to really relay to a woman what her power would be, what she can call upon within her own self as she's going through this fertility continuum, which is essentially a creative continuum Mm -hmm. within the cycle. And so the bleed time ends up being the inner wise woman, the follicular time ends up being, Oh, what do I have that one at? I can tell what phase of my cycle that I'm in right now, because I'm unable to fully tap into her, the reflective woman. Then we go into the ovulatory time, the inner creatrix, right? So Mm -hmm. that cultivation. And then we go into our luteal time, which is again, that premenstrual, that wild time. And it's the inner wild woman. And when we're in it, we're just in it. Like you just shared with us. Um, <laughs> but if we can, and that's, and that's really being in, in the feminine presently in that, in that energy. But if we wanted to put a more masculine framework around it, kind of like an archetype does mm-hmm. that provides the opportunity and the literacy and the language for the partner to understand where his partner is in this moment in time and how he, he, he or she can understand them better. They yeah. can, Oh, you're in this phase because I understand this. I know that this is how you're seeing and responding and trying to interact with your world right mm-hmm. now. And mm. the question, the, the, the question leaves and, and, and they can tap into that curiosity or sorry, what's happening. But what I'm curious about is can they amplify it? Can a, can in a partnership, can it can that can those four aspects, those four archetypes of the cycle, become something that a couple can work with together? Is what I'm, I guess, where I'm asking. Beautiful, yeah. And so you know the dynamicism of that question is so beautiful because what you're and and what I hear you asking is really this cultivation of masculine and feminine being able to come in in a really amplificatory way of creation and absolutely. Mm. And, you know, because we're working within these really mysterious feminine realms, I wouldn't be able to give you one answer, but I will say that the literacy and actually coming together in understanding, as you so beautifully mentioned, is what will unlock what that looks like for each partnership. Mm. And so the reason why I'm not so quick to be like, yes, absolutely. And you do this, 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 Mm. and this is because I've sat in the heart with enough partnerships to say, well, this is much like a scenario of birth. Mm-hmm. And if I was to relay you the medicine, the key, the hidden agenda, the unlocking, the magic formula of how you could cultivate that within your partnership, we would be missing out on an opportunity for that to actually be fostered in intimacy. And so if I was sitting with you and beautiful Jana right now, and we were having this conversation together, and we were talking about ways in which you could cultivate that within your partnership, I would likely have you go on an archetypical journey through one cycle to really note down the physiological, emotional energetics that you witness together and then come together almost in like a um, archetypical love language of like, these are the things that we can cultivate and create and be in togetherness of when we're in these phases so that the cohesiveness of our creation is amplified through that intimacy. I, uh, I do think about how much a common language and, 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 that, and the dynamic that that brings forth in, with a couple just, just helps create such a bond to go through life together with, mm-hmm. as opposed to the men are from Mars, women are from Venus language that we're sort of taught. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and we're even, you know, we're even taught that when we, when we talk about masculine and feminine energy being different, as opposed to being two parts of, of a whole and flowing in and out of each other. And, you know, cause you know, I do, I do a lot of coaching work. I know a lot of couples who divorced thinking about it. You know, I come from a divorced home and you wonder if this, these couples had created being able to create a language inside those energetic cycles that they were, the woman was going through. Could that not have changed course for them? Changed mm. the course for them. I don't know, yeah. but I'm, I'm always curious about that. Yeah. And this is what this conversation Mm -hmm. has the opportunity to widen the lens for, right? Is the realm of possibility Mm -hmm. and knowing that 
You know, one of my favorite things that I love to share about the womb that that often stops me even, but certainly stops the people that I'm with and just takes a moment is my devotion to the womb path, both embodied in my own life and the work that I do in the world and the work that I do with the in the earth. The heart of it is is the knowing that every single human on this planet is created and birthed from the womb. Regardless of your orientation, of your beliefs, of your cultural background, of your familial systems, where you live in the world, this is really the center of humanity. We are quite literally birthing new generations, new ways, new paradigms from our wombs. And when we really distill that for the context of what you just mentioned so beautifully, relationally, it's like if this is the center of humanity and we can come back to just a really basic understanding of this place so that the female that's holding these body parts, the woman, woman that's holding these body parts can feel understood in that level, the amount of intimacy that has the opportunity to ripple from that understanding, that connection, that literacy. And I know that there can be like, wow, that's so simple. How could that really create that much impact? In my work, I witness the amount of impact every single day. Yeah. It, when you were speaking, it reminded me of a story, personal story. When I, when Jan and I first had our, or we had our first child, Quinn, and it was a very, I guess it was considered a medical birth. Uh, no, no, I can't remember what the exact terminology is, but it was forceps and an episiotomy. So it's everything but a C-section. There's some term for that. And I remember walking by right after she'd, she'd birthed Quinn and seeing her pelvic area torn apart through by the episiotomy and the birth. And at that moment in time and where I was in my life, my first thought was, that looks ugly. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think anything of that again. I was just kind of mortified. It wasn't judgmentally ugly. It was just ugly, mm-hmm. ugly in, in the sense that I was just mortified by it. Like if I'd seen something that was destroyed. Mm-hmm. And then maybe six years later, we had done an ayahuasca ceremony. And I had, this was, again, it was not in my mind. And during the ayahuasca ceremony, I was transported back to that same place and time uh, in, so in the, in the hospital, in the birthing room. And uh, I looked at it and I just weeped at the power that that not only that this this person had been able to birth a child for us, that this area had endured and and what it had been through. And all of a sudden, what I had been very dismissive of became like, I just wanted to worship her whole pelvic area and her whole womb area. And it, it, it wasn't immediate, but she had had pelvic floor issues ever since Quinn. And we can talk about that because I imagine that's something that's that's prevalent for a lot of people. But they started to heal. And the healing didn't complete until our third kid consciously conceived. The other two were not. They were not intent. We not said, let's have a kid. Like, And anyway, I guess the point of what I'm, I guess... <laughs> what I'm saying is just how many, how many men have made that mistake and, or just because they haven't learned the language or they haven't been told to, to worship this area of a woman, because not only is it incredible for what it does for the couple, but to your point, it has given birth to the world. It has given birth to every and every animal, (laughs) not just us humans, the animals. And some may argue or make the point that the entire world is from a, created from a womb, you know, and that tiptoes into the area of religious spirituality, cosmos, you know, all, the cosmos, all these different things, which again, we don't have to go there, but that is, you know, it goes all the way up to the top, right? Where <laughs> our very, very presence um, here comes from this one area of which we can scoff at if it's not perfect or, wow. you know, because it's an inconvenience every month to bleed, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's my personal journey with wow. coming full circle on that. Thank you so much for that story. I can just like feel the swelling of my heart and thank you for being able to meet that layer of worship and to really be able to provide an example 
of what it's like to return to something when you remove all the indoctrination, all of the, you know, concepts and viewpoints and ways in which we have gone so far away from honoring. And it's, it's such an important conversation because I get asked this question all the time. And I've certainly gotten down on my knees and had my own like, whoo, grief filled moments of like, how did we get here? Yeah, right. If that, if that's the truth in your own lived experience, how did, how did we get here? Like, what was the actual conduit of us coming so far away from this place being, as you so beautifully put, a, a place of worship? And, you know, I, I feel like there's so many layers that we can dive into it. And something that really distills it so beautifully for me and my teachings is it's incredibly disruptive to systems that are designed to keep us quiet, tame, and tidy, to have women be in the full embodiment of their power. And when I say embodiment, I mean, like, really, again, understanding and, and being able to self-worship mm-hmm. their bodies, right? I, I mean, I turn a lot of heads in the way that I walk the priestess path, the way that I walk towards the womb, the way that I walk in holistic pelvic care and all of these modalities that I work with, which I would love to to come into as well. But I turn a lot of heads primarily because of the relationship that I'm in with my menstruation and the really ceremonial, you know, ritualistic framework that I have for the way that I bleed that is not templated around me. And it's not something that I learned from a book or from a podcast or from anyone else. It was a self pilgrimage of me going into my body and being like, this can't be it. This, this can't be it. There has to be something more than this. And, you know, I'll share a really short story of how I got here because I believe that it provides a little bit of framework for anyone that's listening. I didn't just miraculously wake up one day and I was like, yeah, I'm going to worship my body and this is it. And I'm just going to, you know, go on this journey 360 and, and here we are. I came into this path like many people find me in a moment of desperation where I had no one to turn to. And what was happening in my body is I started to embark on a conscious conception journey with my husband and two weeks before our official start date of this like really profound journey we were about to go on, I started bleeding thick black blood from my womb. And I proceeded to bleed for an entire year straight with no pause. I was a medical mystery they were recommending a combination of birth control, synthetic hormones, and or hysterectomy if I didn't stop bleeding in a timely fashion because my body was becoming so depleted. And, you know, being at that time, I think I was 26, 27 years old, having doctors just really, you know, quickly throw around that there was no other way. I mean, it was, it was partially debilitating to my system, if I'm totally honest, but it also opened up this entirely new window of saying, well, I'm either going to sit here and victim and literally let them remove my womb, or I'm going to take self-responsibility and become literate of my own damn body. And I embarked on a journey that was, you know, we'll often never have the full scope of words to be able to explain, but it was really this like dark night of the soul, which became dark night of the womb that told me to just like clean up all of the ways that I had walked away from my body because of, you know, all of the systems that had essentially told me to give my power and, and just, you know, and, and again, these systems have also been incredibly helpful in the right context, but I wasn't ever being taught. There wasn't an opportunity for me to be collaborative in my healing. And so I didn't know my body. And so I've spent the last six to seven years studying. I became a registered holistic nutritionist. I studied with Tammy Lynn Kent and became a holistic pelvic care practitioner. You know, I started to like really come into the educational content for me to learn the systems of my body and also come into this really sacred spirit-based relationship with my body as home. The gift of being human was my cycle, my blood, being a woman, my breath. And the simplicity of that provided me with an entirely different orientation. Not only was I able to heal my womb, but I am in a space of awe, love, Mm -hmm. thriving. Of 
course I still experience pain and, and things still happen to me. It doesn't absolve me of my humanness, but the orientation to feeling this pulse of life as a woman hadn't been templated to me. And I found it by saying, let's come home. Thank you for sharing that story, Jasmine. When I hear you, when I hear you tell me the story, what I think about are all the people who are in, you know, hospital bed, hospital gown, sitting at home late at night, worrying about why there's no answer for the thing that, that, and they're, and they're bordering on this idea that they're crazy, that what they're feeling is not real because it's not in a fucking book that was learned in school. Yeah. And I'm not saying that the books again, aren't filled with great information, but what I'm hearing is that, and this may be more true with women than men, but the, the listening to the wisdom of the body and, and the voice that's nagging at us, not nagging, excuse me, that's a terrible word. Um, that's, that's coming forth through us in ways that we haven't been taught to listen to it is the first step that somebody can take is just listen. Mm -hmm. And sometimes maybe they don't even need to go down the path as far as you did in terms of educating yourself to a language. There is a language of the body that is clear intuitively. And I wonder, as I say, as I say this out loud, and I think this out loud, is that language of the body of the womb also connected to different parts of our bodies, like the throat and the pelvis and and anything and everything. And now where's the question in this is once somebody has decided to listen, that they've actually trusted that the voice that they have inside them is the truth for them, despite what everyone else is telling them, how do they, and in the spirit of this particular podcast, how does their partner step into them, into this so that they can begin a healing journey uh, together? Mm-hmm beautiful question. And what I love so much about this question and about the womb and everything that we're talking about in particular is because there's such a simplicity to the answer often that we bypass it. Mm -hmm. We're looking for this like big flashing thing. And what I've found is it's often simple combined with devotion that creates an opportunity for healing. And so I think a lot of people get really stuck and, you know, I'll speak to my partner in particular in this conversation, you know, it was really challenging for him to, because at this time I didn't have a relationship with my cycle. This wasn't something that we were having a conversation with. So he was really learning alongside me. And if I can just speak his praise for a moment, what really yielded itself so powerfully to me is his full devotion to trusting every single thing that I felt, that I said, that I wanted to embark on. I was never, you know, ridiculed or questioned for that. There was just this like immediate, like, yep, I trust your body. I hadn't really had that. Mm -hmm. We often don't have that. Everybody wants to have an opinion. Everybody wants to provide their framework, their answer, this work for my sister's wife's blah, 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 right? We, we, we want to help. And that's so beautiful about human nature, but the simplicity of just sitting with another person and just saying like, tell me what you're feeling. What's your next step? What feels good for you, right? Like coming back to human relation, it's almost like we're coming back full circle to the conversation that we just had previously, the intimacy of us just coming into relationship with the space and the body together is so profound. And so if we use the example of things like ovarian cysts, of endometriosis, of um, PCOS, some of the things that a lot of women are experiencing right now, if we were to you know, apply those into context with how a partner could be really supportive, it's really sitting and saying like, tell me what you're feeling in this moment, what would be supportive and helpful for you? Giving an opportunity to come to care practitioner appointments. Like if I can ask one thing from partners in this time is like, go to practitioner appointments with your partners because it's so important for the receiving of information, of diagnosis, of whatever that might be to be listened to in that relational dynamic So that there can be an opportunity for that healing, for that thriving, for this beautiful journey that's about to embark on to not feel so alone. Mm -hmm. Women are really, really used to doing this alone. And and that 
that togetherness, that maybe even just that presence becomes part of the medicine that heals. And I'm curious if I, if I, if we take that word medicine and we think about it, not as a drug or not as something that is there to cure a symptom, but to heal the deepest root of what has caused, you know, you mentioned cysts or, or an irregular cycle has caused something to manifest in our bodies. How then do we take that entry point and go deeper into the healing, the medicine of the work that you do? Yeah. Beautiful. So at the heart of the medicine of the womb of the pelvis, particularly in my work in holistic pelvic care, which is essentially a modality created by Tammy Lynn Kent. She's got a wonderful book. If you're like, ooh, this sparked something in me, it's called Wild Feminine. I encourage every single person on this planet, not only woman or female pelvis oriented person to read this book. Tammy Lynn Kent really taught me around what the medicine of our own self-touch really provides us. And so if I was to think of three things that would be absolutely foundational for every single woman, every single female pelvis person on their womb healing journey or womb orientation, their womb connection journey, whatever word you want to use wherever you're at, it would be love, presence, touch. Mm -hmm. If we are scared to touch, to feel, to look at, to taste, to smell, whatever senses, right? The sensual experience, not sexual, sensual, meaning all of the senses come alive. If we're scared to apply our senses to a space in the body, Tammy Lynn Kent has a really beautiful teaching that says that the spirit, like the spirit, the life body, the aliveness of a place in the body leaves when we disconnect from it. So if we feel scared of our own bodies, if we don't have the opportunity to orient to them in any way, it's really challenging for us to go deeper, which is why I'm like focusing so much on this really being the root of it. From there, the options are really endless because we are working with feminine principle, which is why we're missing the mark medically for so many of these conditions in the female body. We don't really understand endometriosis. We don't really understand PCOS. We don't really understand why women get cysts and other women don't. There is a lot of misunderstanding happening because we are attempting to create this industrialized model, which says you have this symptom, you take this pill. Mm -hmm. You have this symptom, you get this procedure. You have this symptom, you get this diagnosis. And it doesn't work within the female system. It doesn't work within a lot of systems, but particularly in the womb, because we all have a really unique orientation to how our cycles play out and, and, you know, the size of our pelvis and our tissues, it's not meant to be this cookie cutter thing. And so to answer your question, the deepening is really in the foundation. The more that you offer presence, the more that you connect, the more that you touch, the more that you engage, the more that you allow intimacy self and shared in a space the more doorways that begin to open up for your healing. And I know that that's a really annoying answer when we're wanting to have clarity and like leave with a piece of information, but it would be wildly out of integrity for me to say this plus this equals this, because that's actually what in my work I'm attempting to dismantle. And you say it on your website, you know, these journeys aren't for the faint of heart. Yeah. And that's exactly, you know, what happens in the coaching process and, is for me specifically is that there's an unraveling one of my one of my clients said it recently she said i had we had the greatest session and then i felt great for three days and then all of a sudden all these ugly truths started to surface those are exact words ugly truths because yet they hadn't been allowed to surface before and 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 then there's a resistance it's like oh well i thought it would only be the one the good part but when we undid the, when we peeled back a layer, <laughs> all of a sudden, and, and it's, it's just, it's the work, it's the work of the medicine to get back to maybe the word I'm searching for here is trauma. Before we go there, I just wanted you to say some, say what you said one more time. So I heard it clearly. You mentioned something about if we ignored a part of us, it, it left completely. Can you just say that part again? Yeah. 
So the spirit, Mm -hmm. the aliveness of a place in the body leaves when Mm -hmm. we, when we disconnect from it. Right. And, and one of the ways that we could disconnect from it is through trauma. Yes. Or probably one of the primary ways is of us never having even known it is because we had trauma in our youth before we were consciously connecting an event to something that happened inside. And next thing you know, it's gone. Yeah. Next thing you know, our relationship with that has been taken from us. Yeah. And, and if we speak to the womb specifically, you know, this is something that I see a lot in working with women. And I've certainly experienced in myself is that from the, outside world, the, the collective imprint and how women in particular are told that we should be showing up in the world. A lot of it is to be lovable, mm-hmm. right? We need, we need to be lovable for our lives. So if we think of, you know, however many years ago, women couldn't even get a bank account. We couldn't buy land. We were really dependent on being loved, mm-hmm. on being married, in many ways in order to survive. And so we hold that ancestral imprint, but it's also you know, really portrayed in this collective way. And so what many women do, because we don't have the literacy, we haven't walked through the rites of passage. We're feeling that this space in our body, both in our you know, herd experience from our aunts, from our grandmothers, from our mothers, this is a really burdenous space that we shouldn't really pay too much attention to anyways. All of the matters of the heart, right? The trauma, the pain, rather than keeping it here so that we can keep our hearts open and be lovable to the world around us, we shove down into the space that we've been told to disconnect from anyways. And so it actually becomes this really open receptacle for everything that we don't really want to deal with. And what that creates in a woman's psyche, in a woman's body, is a breeding ground for dis-ease because the spirit, the aliveness has left We don't have an orientation of honor, of devotion, of connection. And then we have this kind of breeding ground for all of the things that we don't want to look at, this deep, dark space that we don't really ever have to tune into. And when we start to go on this pilgrimage, much to what your beautiful client says, things can get a lot worse before they get better. Because all of a sudden we we start opening up Pandora's box, if you will, and we're like, oh, this is where I've been hiding it. And so while a lot of, you know, and this is where we start bridging the, the really tricky space between science and spirit, we understand that we can hold emotions in the body. Most of us, some of us don't relate to that. And that's totally fine too. But something that we can agree upon is fascia. And this is a big conversation. And so I'll try to just like bring this into the most accessible point as we can, that fascia is a substance within our bodies. It runs all along our skeletal system, our muscles. If we were to take away all of the matter of our bodies and we just left our fascia, we would have kind of this like perfect human model. It's this incredible substance that reacts to not only physical trauma, but emotional trauma too. And this is very scientifically proven that this space in the body is meant to be kind of like a saran wrap, like really malleable, really flexible, really fluid. It's what gives us um, elasticity in our muscles and, and the vitality of movement, of a lot of blood flow, of regeneration, of our healing capacity. I would encourage everyone to just like look up fascia and find a definition that really allows you to feel connected to it. And why I speak to this is because it gives us an access point of physical and emotional connection and how it relates to potential dis-ease in the body. And the womb, the pelvic fascia, the vulva fascia, the vaginal fascia has the capacity to hold on to not only physical trauma, so many of us have experienced that in many different ways, but also emotional trauma. And so it becomes this space where if we aren't careful, which many of us don't even have the orientation to understand what being careful towards our womb is, we start creating an environment that lacks vitality. And then we start experiencing the symptomology of that, not to be punished, not because there's anything wrong with us, not because we need to be fixed, but because that pain is the only orientation that the womb knows how to speak of to actually get our attention. Pain is often the first point of reference that will actually listen to the body. And so we open up the capability for us to start going on a healing and then potentially towards a thriving journey from there. 
And that's how we can reclaim our, our essence, if you will, though yeah. those parts of us that have been locked away because of trauma. I'm curious, does, do you know if men have a, have a similar counterpoint to how the womb can hold both physical and emotional trauma? Yeah. Is there a similar? Yeah. So in my teachings, there's two different ways that you can answer that. The, the area, so like the pelvic area, I actually like to, to work with pelvic orientation for a man. So coming into connection with the bones of the pelvis and then just finding that center below the belly button where the womb would reside in a woman. In many different teachings, primarily tantric teachings, kundalini teachings, this is mm. called a hara. Mm. And yes, so this is an... Yeah. So that's an energetic area that a male bodied man can cultivate awareness into through breath, through massage, um, through presence, through movement to actually open up the energetic area of that. There's also a lot of, you know, speaking to the energetics of the inner gonads. Um, so the actual centers that feed into the testicles as being a really powerful point of creation. Mm -hmm. So if we think of a man's sperm being the seed of life, mm -hmm. it's this really beautiful, cultivated, loving, tender seed of life that is, you know, counterpart of this vast point of creation in a woman. They can actually tend to the testicles and into mm -hmm. their point of creation to be able to facilitate that big emotional charge. It, thank you for sharing that because I didn't, I hadn't knowing it that way. And I think it is really important, almost essential because we're not, we are taught that sex is good and sex is bad and sensuality is not even in the conversation. You know, it's masturbation for pleasure. It's massage for rehabilitation or et cetera, et cetera. So both, both people coming into a relationship likely don't have a relationship with that part of themselves. And thus they don't have the ability to understand that for their partner or themselves and, and unlocking that can, can lead them into all kinds of beautiful places as they evolve into the, you know, as human beings. And there still is, you don't go to a counselor and they explain that to you. No. You know, you don't go to a doctor and they explain that to you. And in most cases, if you're feeling something, it's a pill yeah. or it's, you know, it's, you know, let's let a limb off you know, in the old days, it used to be bloodletting, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm being facetious to an extent there, but on the bloodletting part, just this idea that like one simple thing fixes all things is what I'm getting at. Yeah. And a des desensitization of the root rather than going into the sensation. Right. And, you know, I share really boldly with my community that you know, coming from a childhood of sexual abuse and knowing that that was actually something that was clearing within my womb when I was going through this conscious conception time so that I can go through this really deep renewal stage and actually have a really beautiful inner connection to my womb prior to my conception. I mean, not many people have that gift and I certainly see that as a privilege, but one of the most powerful things for my sexual healing was actually coming back into right relationship with my sexuality being mine mm -hmm. and masturbation, if, if you will, or, you know, self-pleasuring no longer became this really like taboo thing that I needed to keep outside of the confines of my marriage. It actually became this really important practice for me to engage with, to bring forward deeper desire, deeper self-intimacy, deeper heart into union with my partner. And mm -hmm. That's not something that we yeah. talk about either, because there's always these subtle slash not subtle frameworks of, like you said, good or bad, right or wrong. Mm -hmm. But there's this really nuanced approach to what can happen in our healing when we realize that our bodies are ours. I'm, I'm curious if I, I was speaking with your friend, Carmen, when we were talking about breath work on the podcast and this point of entry to where and how is there ever going to be a crossover where we can start to learn these things earlier in our lives, whether that's in a, in a, in a, in the framework, simply in the home where our caregivers, our parents are the teachers of, because even, you know, they're not, at least in my experience, not going to speak to it in this type of way or in a classroom or in some other, you know, medium of which it's not, well, everything is, is sort of 
the darkest night of the soul. So therefore I'm going to learn it, but instead it becomes a tool that lifts us from as soon as we're ready to begin comprehending it. Is there, is there a bridge? Is there a path? Is there, is it, or is it just, you come to it when you come to it and that's okay too. Mm. Yeah. This is the shit that keeps me up at night. That's my honest answer. And, <laughs> and to, to speak really freely in that, I mean, this is some of the pain body of my journey in particular. You know, I have a really deep devotion, a deep prayer that I speak every day especially in the days when I'm like, what is going on here? And it's just remembering that I am, I am the ancestor mm -hmm. that says that this stops with me. Mm -hmm. This ends with me and it begins with me. And the pain body of that is knowing that I might never see the momentum that I desire and that I crave in this lifetime, but my hope and what I'm investing my time, my energy, my education, my presence, my life too is three, four, five generations down the road, I'll be the crazy great, great, great grandmother, Jasmine, that started to instill a new way. And I think a lot of us experience this when we're feeling the momentum of change happening, whether it be breath, whether it be the womb, whether it be all of these beautiful things that I believe so many of us are waking up to, that we can see really clearly that the regenerative pace might not be one that we actually see the fruit of in our life. Mm -hmm. And we have to be okay with being the ones in this lifetime that plant the seeds, but might never see the bloom. You're healing the line. Yeah. You know, it's, and I, and I've come to believe that the line can heal backwards and forwards. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, it's not just those to come. It was those, yeah. you know, when we look at all the relationships in our life and we point fingers at the things that are wrong with them. And then we heal something inside of us. And all of a sudden, all those relationships change. Yeah. And sometimes those people change even in, in miraculous ways I've seen. Yeah. And that's like you said, it begins and starts with you. I really, really appreciate you saying that. I think that everyone needs to hear that. And I want to be cognizant of your time because believe me, I got questions. <laughs> I got all kinds of questions. Well, I'm, I'm saying yes to, to a second recording already. I, I like where this is going. I, I think that why don't, why don't we do that instead of pursuing different avenues that I have great curiosity for with the universe and working with blood and really even diving into more of this idea of, of the mystery of, you know, the womb and, 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 you know, how it's a blueprint and, and all these different things. <laughs> Maybe we leave it on that beautiful moment that you, you gave us and, mm -hmm. and, and strive to, if we can add, or if you wanted to add a message to women who are listening to this couples who are listening to this, something that they can maybe just so they can he hear and hold in their hearts or maybe something they can do. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And I love the opportunity to go into a continuum of this conversation to really preserve that original intention to be in the feminine. So thank you for really honoring that and bringing that through. And for anyone listening, you know, I want to just speak my deepest gratitude and love and how moved I am at the privilege to have this conversation first and foremost. And so thank you. And, and please feel that everyone that's listening and for the women, for the, the partners, for, you know, everybody, the womb is always here for us. And we can change our entire framework of how we orient to it in one simple breath. And so my invitation for you today is to you know, maybe there'll be a couple different stages to that, but just bring your hands on your body, bring your hands on your bones, start to re-familiarize yourself with this landscape in the body. Say hello with your hands. If you feel like getting out a mirror and looking at your vulva, looking at your tissues, looking at yourself in the mirror, it, it really is so simple 
coming back to the body. And I believe that it is our disorientation with feeling like it's such a huge concept and it's so far away that keeps us from ourselves. And so whether you're a womb-bodied person or not, give yourself the gift of simply looking, touching, feeling, and experiencing your body and just ask yourself, what is the truth? What is something that my body really needs from me today? And can I be co-creative and collaborative with that ask? and take one step forward every day in 365 days, we've taken a monumentous leap forward. And so let it be simple and say hello. Jasmine, is there anywhere that people, you want people to find you or (laughs) shall we leave you in the woods? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I absolutely love community. I have lots of different ways of engaging with my offerings, ways that you can dip your toes in, ways that you can fully leap in with me. My website is www.humblewildwellness.com. My Instagram is humblewildwellness. And I love DMs. I love engaging with questions, curiosities. I have a wealth of resources. I like to diversify the voices and the ways that we engage with this information as well. So if I feel a little bit out of reach for you right now, don't let that be a reason to not reach out. Perhaps I'll leave some other resources with Joel and, and, you know, above all else, you're the wisest person here. And so come into my space, say hello, let's go together. Thank you, Jasmine. It's so wonderful to get to talk with you again. It's been probably over a year now since too long seeing you, and we're a little farther away now than we we once were. But um, thank you so much. You, you are so a much. gift to the world. As are you. Please give Jenna and your sweet family big hugs and love, and I look forward to continuing this conversation with you. Well, thank you. As always, thanks so much for listening to The Ramble. No, there is a lot of podcasts out there, so we thank you for choosing to listen all the way through on this one. You know, we want to be part of the, the solution, the, the good questions, the things that move you and inspire you and make you want to connect deeper with yourself and others, you know, all that great stuff. So if the spirit does move you, subscribe, share, post, anything. We'd be forever grateful. And if you have any comments or feedback, good, bad, ugly, it doesn't matter. We're here to listen. Guests you think we should have on. Of course, send them along. Thank you. And until next time, peace.